Just a quick reminder, this is a re-release, part three of our review of Joni Mitchell's Blue album. You can go back and listen to parts one and two, which were released earlier this week. Hey everybody, you're about to listen to part three of our conversation about Joni Mitchell's Blue album. So go back and listen to part one and part two if you haven't done that already. Enjoy! I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Uh, should we move into California? Sure. This is this is a song that gets me, and I. I think it's funny to be moved by a song that is both celebrating something and poking fun at it. But that's kind of how I feel about my time spent in California. And I, I don't know. There, I don't exactly resonate with all of the ways that she describes that state. But I know that a little piece of my heart is still out there on the West Coast somewhere. Mm. And so when I hear someone writing about still feeling like it, it's inside of who you are and sort of longing for that strange um, experience of living life out there. I, yeah, I sometimes have to skip this song because I'm like, okay, I'm not ready for that emotional journey Aww. today. Skip. <laughs> uh, and I feel somewhat similar uh, with A Case of You because of its uh, heavy Canadian context. So, I yeah, living in Pennsylvania but feeling like parts of me are on the west coast and north of me i think the second side of this album really does pull me in a bunch of different directions that um i wasn't anticipating you know as a someone who was brand new to Joni mitchell to, to find myself so enamored by 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 hearing parts of my own story come out uh, come out of her mouth um but yeah this this track in particular california which is somewhat light and fun and playful uh, just gets me every time, which is which is fun. There's some cool sort of hippie kind of references as well, and it does sound a little dated too. Uh, yeah, um, for sure. Like anchors it though in like a time and place, and again, so narrative. Like I was sitting in Paris, France. I was on a Grecian yeah. Isle. I was in Spain, but I'm yeah. reading the news back home, and you know that like they won't give peace a chance. Mm. Another strong reference there. You know, it was just it was just a dream that some of us had. Um, yep. And then she references it when she says, oh, but California, I'm coming home. I'm going to see the folks I dig. I'll even kiss the sunset. <laughs> like, I, I would even I would even be happy to see a cop right now. And I'm very obviously right. a hippie just in that sense of longing for yeah. being back. You know, I can I can see Ben why that would be moving for you. One thing that struck me here is how much she how often she calls california her home i'm coming home which is interesting because she references and we'll talk about this later on she references uh canada and she talks about you know the ice and and christmas time in river which is a reference to to canada uh which is where she grew up which is usually what you call your home but here she's saying i want to go back home like because that's where she's living currently that's her place of residence and where she feels comfortable and i think where again these last if this is the story of the last kind of five years of her life that's where it happens um and she talks about that um 
as this is this is where I feel comfortable. I think I had read somewhere too that um, sometimes we're supposed to infer that she's talking about California the place and sometimes she's talking about James Taylor. Um, and if you look mm. at, there's a line where she says, um, will you take me as I am strung out on another man? So probably referencing still the breakup with Graham Nash, um, California, I'm coming home. Mm. Like, like James Taylor, I'm coming back. Um, after taking this sabbatical and getting away from the pressure I've been facing in the States. So yeah. I love the personification of places. Um, mm. yeah. California, I'm come home. Will you take me as I am strung out on another man? But I think she's, ta- she's talking about another place. She could be talking about two men because she, she oh, had experiences yeah. in, sure. she talked about, you know, meeting the, the redneck on the Grecian Isle and Carrie and these other things. Uh, but she's personified these two places as men in her life, which I, which is really, really neat. The excitement of Europe and all these places she's traveled. And, but again, reading the news and wanting to come home and, and mm-hmm. uh, the, that longing is so neat. And I, lo- I love that um, they won't give peace a chance. I know you mentioned that, you know, uh, referencing uh, John Lennon, the uh, song, give peace a chance. Such a happy opening, like happy sounding, but it's very sad. Um, and I think she references war again later. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. All, all the news of home and you read more about the war and the bloody changes. Like it's, it's, there's sadness there too, but the happiness, like I'm happy here. And I'm happy that I'm coming home, but there's also these sad things happening. Um, there's there's two other things I wanted to talk about. Um, the the phrase theme and the rhyme scheme. I love in the second verse, um, I went to a party down a dirt red road. There are lots of uh, pretty people there reading Rolling Stone, reading. She totally breaks the phrasing. There are lots of pretty people there reading Rolling Stone, reading Vogue. She she The phrase is done, but she keeps going. Um, which it's so cool. It, it throws me off guard half the time I listen to it and I love it. And then mm-hmm. um, as I'm listening to the chord progression of uh, the chorus, I kind of thought it was the bridge, but it's actually the chorus. Oh, it gets so lonely. Um, and it, it ends and it goes back to a major key uh, into the second verse. But the second time it stays minor and becomes the outro. And that por- chord progression reminds mm-hmm. me of the song, um, I don't know if you heard this, Ben, the song Amsterdam by Coldplay. Um, the chorus of that, it's the same chord progression. They're doing it like twice as fast, but it's the same chord progression and also similar melody. And oh, it's one. It's again one of those times where I wonder, like, there's only so many notes, but when you write a song, are you including something accidentally that you heard before? And it's just, be, yeah, exactly. Like, it's inspired you. And you didn't mean to do it, but it was just in there in your consciousness as you were writing. So that was kind of another kind of cool thing. The first time I heard that, I was like, oh, that sounds like cool. that sounds like a Coldplay song. Um, so very cool. And I'm sure they, like many other artists, were inspired. So yeah, a lot of really, it's a fun song and a lot of really neat things happening uh, lyrically and vocally and musically. One of the six of my favorite songs we've talked about so far <laughs> on this album. <laughs> Well, how about this flight tonight? Where does it fall in your uh, favorites? Um, I love the uh, 
uh, Nora, you you can see you can repeat this and edit me out if you want to claim this, but I love the tuning and the guitar in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's hard to. We could edit this and talk about it later. It's hard to listen to this song without hearing the Nazareth version in my head, which is frustrating to me because <laughs> I think that makes it very rocky and happy and and very boppy. But it's not. It's like it's it's kind of a downer. It's like uh, I find this song kind of sad too. <laughs> yeah. And it's you know it's minor and it's kind of looming. Kind of blue, you might say. Uh, definitely. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even lyrically too, like the the motifs that we get. In addition to just the narrative, um, she goes back and forth like falling star, and then star yeah. bright, and then blackness, yeah. and then little lights that shine, and then blackness, black light the candle, and then back to those stars again. You know, it's just this 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 push and pull of of emotion um, I don't actually know or haven't at least heard uh, the version that, that you're talking about Mike though I did see it come up on an article that I was reading and I was like hmm, I'm gonna skip it because I think her version <laughs> is <a> perfect <laughs> oh. so it's untainted for me Ben you know it right? yeah yeah I, and, and that to me um some of the songs that are very famously covered, I heard them by other artists before I heard them by Joni on this album. I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that. Um, however, I'm slightly consoled because I think it speaks to the the greatness of these songs yeah. that other artists want to do them, and they've become successful. Because when you have a good song, you can do it in almost any way. Like there are just some songs that are have so much good foundation they stand on their own no matter how you do them there are other songs where you have to do it you know it has to be a full band or it has to be these instruments or, or it has to be in this style or it doesn't work um but these ones like they're just so well written that you that you can do them in any other way um but again nora you're absolutely right with the 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 light imagery light and darkness and all that repetition mm-hmm. uh blackness everywhere and little light shine blackness blackness and then star bright star bright and um goodbye baby baby goodbye like just all these repeat 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 um uh in the song so interesting we should point out that uh sneaky pete kleinow plays the pedal steel guitar on this song um it's pretty amazing to have a sneaky pete on an album um, but uh, I think that's what you hear when there's kind of like, <clears throat> it almost sounds like the neck of a guitar being bent or something. It's kind of like a high kind of uh, waning sound on strings partway through with some kind of chattering background vocals in the back. I don't even know how to describe it. It kind of sounds a little bit jarring. Uh, do you know what t- what part of the song I'm talking about? Yeah, they're, they're playing yeah. "Goodbye, Baby, Baby, Goodbye." Ooh, love is blind. That part, maybe. Where yeah, they, yeah. Where, where she like the whole mix is like muted, um, and the vocals are muted, and it totally changes yeah. right in the middle yeah, yeah. and it has all yeah, yeah. like that is like such a cool technique. Isn't it? Um, to to like just pop that right in the middle of a song <laughs> and totally change the feel, like everything about it changes, and that is like one very risky but really really smart yeah. and very effective 
Sneaky Pete. What a guy. Sneaky Pete. Sneaky Pete. I, it makes me think of um like visually when you're when you're watching a movie and they sort of do that. It's a little cheesy, but that thing where they'll like um start to fade in on something and you know you darken the edges and it's zooming right into something in a in an auditory way that's what it does because it almost mm. recenters and refocuses you because you're like yeah. wait what is happening here and then it comes back full strength and you're like oh, okay yeah. i was i'm supposed to be paying attention um you know and in the middle of a song that's like that is wordy and that has you know these repeating words and repeating motifs it's a really smart musical technique to kind of yeah put you back on track to like really be paying attention to what's happening we should also rename our kids with adjectives i think we really missed the boat here sneaky <laughs> that's wild what, what are we gonna call our kids i'm gonna think about that tonight sneaky pete before we get to river i missed something that i wanted to mention in california uh in california this is the third reference uh during our podcast or during the top uh, 500 albums this is the third time that rolling stone is referenced so we had mm. uh in highway 61 revisited um the song like a rolling stone and then we had an album by the rolling stones well, that was one of your favorite albums right yeah both of those actually both of those are, are two of my favorites um, hopefully this one doesn't get reviewed the same way <laughs> and then and then this is the third time in this list in 30 albums that rolling stone that phrase has mm. been mentioned this is actually referring to the magazine which again is very cultural because mm. um rolling stone i think only started in 67 or 68 yeah, right. somewhere around there mm. um so uh, that would have been probably very trendy uh for her to mention rolling stone like that was kind of like a hippie sort of uh very cultural nuanced thing uh, the very first cover was, you know, John Lennon in kind of uh, a, like a Vietnam War helmet. Uh, so very political and very much. And that's, and you know, how fitting that that's the first cover of Rolling Stone. And she references not only war, but a John Lennon song in that song. We mm. should point out too, uh, one more California comment is that James Taylor plays guitar on California. So um uh, Oh, not only not only right. may it yeah, subtly be sure. about him, he's also actually on the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't for sure. anything more romantic. That's yeah. that's wild. So River. A Christmas folk song. Just River. stuck in the middle of a Joni not, Mitchell album. Not a, <laughs> I just talked to Mike about this this afternoon and how absolutely bonkers it is that this song has become a christmas song when really it is a love and heartbreak song that references christmas as a time but not it's not a it's not a christmas song what have we done that being said Sarah McLaughlin has it on her Christmas album and it is very good, but it's just kind of insane. Yeah, and it's probably the only Christmas song you can sing that says, uh, Lordy, love me so naughty, made me weak in the knees. <laughs> ah, the major was different for different people. We should do it, though. <laughs> ben, I think I might have seen maybe a similar thing on her website that you saw. This one, I think, is the second highest covered song of her career. 
Oh, wow. Um, I, I didn't think to write down the number, but it was insanely high, the number of covers that have been recorded. And one of the ones, oh, I can't believe this is one of the first ones I probably heard, maybe even around the time I heard this album. Uh, do you guys remember the show Ally McBeal? Uh-huh. The dance yeah. um, and the genderless You got bathrooms. it. So there was, uh, I don't know, I didn't watch it aggressively or anything, but... Um, uh, Robert Downey, uh, he had a, I think, a short sort of special role on the show. And yeah. he actually sang this song wow. on that show. And I think you can probably on YouTube like find a recording of him tinkering on a piano and, and singing this song. Um, I think I did probably hear it around the same time that I would have been hearing the album. And I remember that's going, like, oh, that's weird. That's kind of like a funny. Well, um, you were right, Nora. 671 other recordings are listed on Joni Mitchell's website, uh, including 98 Degrees. Let's see what other good stuff we can find here. painful. Man, this is just an enormous, enormous list. I guarantee they're all on someone's stupid Christmas album. Like, just... Yep. Well, then one one of the first ones I remember was definitely uh, Sarah McLaughlin, mm-hmm. but I don't want to jump the gun on that. Sixpence section. none the richer. Wow, oh. getting all kinds know. of '90s throwbacks here. With the... James Taylor has it on his Christmas album. That feels oh, well, maybe that's what I heard. Inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, that's just rude, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh funny. man. Although I think if anyone that she would be okay with i feel like she'd be okay with that she perhaps maybe would like kind of the irony of that well he did it at her um, oh, at her, at her you're right yeah her birthday celebration yeah. yeah i think this song has my favorite lyric of the whole album i like that i really like that that line i wish i had a river i could skate away on um mm-hmm. maybe it's just a little bit too Canadian for me to <laughs> overlook or something like that. But, um, I, I, and I think the way that she's singing it too, the, I, this is maybe one of the most beautiful songs in the album too. Slightly minor, uh, feel and, uh, sort of stripped down with just her voice and piano. It's, it's really well done, but the whole album is too. <laughs> <laughs> I love the ver- the variation of Jingle Bells. Did someone already talk about this? No, 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 no. No, no the ver- the variation of Jingle Bells at the beginning, um, uh, in major, and then at the end, she does it in a different key, but a minor key. Yeah. She does a variation on Jingle Bells at the end as well, um, which obviously are some of the things that have you know kind of lent this to becoming a Christmas tune. It references Christmas, not only lyrically but musically as well. Here, um and as themes of winter um but is not it's not about christmas oh. <laughs> right maybe um you know when i think about it like there is nothing sadder than reflecting on loss and heartache at a time when you were supposed to be happy and joyful mm. and i think hmm. probably the intention in in sort of book ending it with those you know, very light, lighthearted musical references of jingle bells and referencing that, you know, it's, it's, it's around Christmas time. Here are the things I see and I smell and I'm experiencing viscerally, but here's how I'm feeling. 
um, and it's this, this loss that makes it just poignantly and gut wrenchingly sad. Um, and I think again, as you said, Mike, as she sort of references that musical note again of jingle bells at the end and changes it to the minor key, like, remember, like it's Christmas, but this is devastating. Yeah. You know? Just like, um, last Christmas I gave you my heart and the very next day you threw it away. <laughs> oh my God. I was thinking blue Christmas, <laughs> but oh. I mean, that's a great reference also. <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about. That song is like, it's so, okay, this is exactly what happened. You know, it, uh, there will be no, you know, I am telling you so explicitly, I was in a relationship and she ended it and I am sad. Like, um, you know, it's, you can't get, I don't know. It's, there's, I don't know what, I'm, I'm trying not to sound uh, offensive in this, but it's, it's, there's, you don't have to figure it out. It's right there. <laughs> it, don't, it doesn't have to be processed. This is like so subtle and describes it in such a beautiful way and thought provoking way that really makes you think and reflect as opposed to you know, just kind of the, the, the other way of describing things in a more pop setting. Um, and I really appreciate it. A case of you. This is the song that we've all been waiting for. Oh man. (laughs) Uh, tell me both of you, does your heart not burst with patriotism (laughs) when she sings? Uh, Oh, are you going to do it? I'm not. Okay. And tell me something. I drew a map of Canada. Um, I always thought that line was "I remember Canada." Always thought, as in the last month, while you've listened to this album. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, is it? I drew a map. Yeah, because she's it's... she's on she, on the back of the cartoon coaster in the blue TV oh. screen light. I drew a map of Canada. Yeah. And I sketched your face. Oh, do it. Do it. I will not. I will not record that for posterity. But um, yeah, the idea. But when she does it and she hits that note, I'm just like, I just want to stand up and put my heart over my hand. (laughs) And like, (laughs) I'm so proud that I'm Canadian and Joni's Canadian and we love Canada. (laughs) Amen. Agreed. Yes. And I'm doubling down on that with the California tie too. So I feel an even deeper sense of kindred connection. Uh, yeah, these yeah. two songs paired together so well on this, on this album. <laughs> but we, one thing, and Ben, we've talked um, and will repent here of talking so negatively about Highway 61 uh, by Bob Why? Dylan. But one of the things <laughs> I meant, <laughs> one of the things I mentioned on that uh, when we talked about that album. It's so relatable because he mentions so many physical geographic locations, Um, places that like the the average blue collar American would have been to those places and would have. Yep, I grew up there or I worked there. I drove through there or there was a truck stop there or she broke my heart there. Like they all relate to that. I think in the same way, Joni is pinning these places on a map because not only do they hold a special place in her life and in her heart, but you can relate to them too. Like every Canadian who hears this uh, is like, yeah, I'm Canadian too. Yeah. You know, like it's just so exciting. And like you, you've, 
you know, you have the coincidence that you've uh, have special ties to a few places. So this is so much more personal and relatable for you, and I'm sure many, many people. Um, Kindred spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Although I will say, there's relatively little reference to Canada beyond beyond naming Canada. I guess maybe a Northern Star, but. I think this is another example of a time where she is substituting a place for a person. I, I will counter that a little bit. And I think, I think river is referencing again, take going back to her roots. And uh, yes, I know we ha- there are winter in places other than Canada, but I think that it, it calls back to an earlier time, a simpler time in her life. And I think that, uh, Although it's, you have to know the story. I think Little Green places her back in Toronto um, because that's where that narrative unfolded. So I think those call back more subtly, though. It's interesting that you were willing to give a pass to uh, to Bob Dylan because of his his place references. Because Joni had a bit of a fraught relationship with him, and there have been times over the years that she has called him a uh, plagiarist Ooh. and. Has oh. not spoken very highly of him as a lyricist. Her on the podcast. Ah, I don't. Yeah, she. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what specifically transpired between them that would cause her at times to reference him as a friend and other times to be huh. <laughs> accusing him of lyrical plagiarism. But uh, it has happened. So that's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, when you use a like we've talked about with album covers, when you take an, an album cover is a photo of a place, mm-hmm. it cements it in time and history in the same way as when you use a, a place that anybody could go to in a lyric, it's it's more relatable. And it, I think in some ways it preserves yeah. it very well. That's true. That's true. It's why country music is so, um, I think, emotionally resonant for people oh. because it's just yeah. a straight up story. Like this thing happened and you understand how I feel because you've probably had the same thing happen to you. It is going to yeah. be hard not um, to just continually reference the Dolly Parton podcast. Uh, as right? I was thinking it too, but <laughs> <laughs> I have also been listening yeah. to it and loving it. <laughs> this song apparently has not been covered, or at least Joni Mitchell's website doesn't list covers for it, um, which is interesting. I would have assumed that Canadian artists inspired by Joni Mitchell would be drawn to this album. Uh, or to this yeah to this album and this song in particular as a song that they would you know um, want to record but um it is just really beautiful i i think i mentioned how much i like the i could drink a case of you darling and i'd still be on my feet to a friend and they sort of chuckled and said it doesn't play so well in the AA community. (laughs) (laughs) You know that that uh refrain is is sort of colored a little differently if you are <laughs> uh, recovering um, sure but i i think you know it's one more example for a lyrical genius i guess <laughs> but it's it's so it's a hyperbole right mm-hmm. it's so uh it's so ridiculous like yeah. how many bottles are in a case like 12 bottles right. no one could drink a, a case of wine yeah. um you know in in one sitting it's it's i i like i love that and I love all the references to to wine and um, holy wine. Uh, this is yeah. I was gonna say this is this is 
maybe the only song that's uh has a lot of religious references i don't think like some you know we've talked about like like bob dylan and the beatles and you too like a lot of religious yeah. and christian references um and 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 like um stevie wonder and marvin gay uh very explicit uh christian and uh references to to jesus um very very little i think this is the only one and it's not even i mean many religions have holy wine yeah uh it's not just christianity so this this is vague in that sense but it's uh again so visceral and um vivid imagery because uh, part of you pours out of me <laughs> you know like I, <laughs> so great oh, i like the idea that i could drink a case like if you think about drinking a case of wine like you're gonna get messed up but she's still be on her feet i'd still yes. i'd still be on my feet so i'm intoxicated with you but i'm of sound mind like i'm i am i've got it together like drunk on this love but i'm i'm here i'm standing yeah. I'm, I'm choosing this so deliberate and and again the balance uh, you taste so bitter and so sweet yeah always with her mm-hmm. huh, always two there are um <laughs> always always there's both sides yeah, you know yeah i really want to put this album on again <laughs> <laughs> it's so good is this the is the first is this the first uh explicit mention of canada that has been referenced in the 30 albums we've listened to so far i think it is or even a city. I don't think there's been a anything of our fine country mentioned so far. Oh wow, mm. might be true. I don't think so. I mean, yeah, no, I think I, you're I, right. I, I think you know the closest we got is that uh, Robbie Robertson played a, an out of tune guitar on one track on a Bob Dylan <laughs> album. I think that's well, all we got. Oh, yeah, <laughs> one of those albums recorded in Toronto. Maybe. Yeah. Think so. And didn't Paul McCartney have a, an OPP patch on this? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, there that's you go. it. See? Oh, that was that was so guys. long ago. It was twenty nine albums <laughs> ago. How am I going to remember I, that? I remember. Good for you. I'm listening. Our number one fan. There you go. Yeah, this that's true. It might be the first the reference. Clearly, this one's a little more overt, but true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we've got one song left. Do you think we should talk about this one as well, or uh, just move right into? Ah, skip it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and again, this one to me, uh, it's like um, uh, Blue and River, where there's a kind of extended piano intro, um, yeah. and and I and I like that, um, and I like the song. the The album slows the pace down as the album comes to a close, and I fo- I don't know if that was intentional, but um, I really like it, and it's kind of it, this this is. For me, and I think you two agree with me, this is an intense album to listen to. I feel mm-hmm. fatigued when I'm done. I have to take a deep yeah. breath because mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, there's so much happening. Uh, lyrically, it's emotional. Musically, I find it it draws out emotion in me. And mm-hmm. I like that it slows down the pace a bit, at least musically, maybe not lyrically, because lyrically, is, I'm still find emotionally being having the crap beaten out of me <laughs> um and again the last time i saw richard was detroit in 68 like again a place and a time like so that yeah uh, she would probably say well i wasn't trying to do it to you know make it more accessible to people it's my story but it but it does it um 
instantly. It's like, I was in Detroit in 68. Like, it makes it, it's so, (laughs) you know, it's so accessible. Can I give you, like, my female take on how much I enjoy her unpacking of this conversation? Yes. Because she she talks about you know meeting up with him um and and again this this song from what i had read a lot of people think is about her meeting up later in time with her ex-husband Chuck okay um that maybe not you know all the specific details being 100 percent true but just the the idea that maybe some of this exchange happened um and so you know she meets up with this guy and he's kind of a blowhard (laughs) like you know, all romantics, they meet the same fate. And then he, he basically is like, oh, poor you with your, you know, your moon eyes and your ideals or what love are. And you believe all the lies that the boys tell you. Um, but then, you know, just before you can start to actually feel bad for her, um, she, she watches him go and put a quarter in the, in the Wurlitzer. And he, um, he basically shows that he, himself is kind of romanticizing something like there's pain in his heart he's listening to this song he's seeing this pretty pretty waitress and he's like moved and affected by it so you know he wants to sort of put off that like oh you're this sad sad girl with all your dreams and he's kind of given up on his and is living with the pain of that um and then as she kind of gets into the minutia of like he married a figure skater they have a dishwasher and a coffee percolator, you know, um, almost saying like, you know, don't tell me I'm, I'm just buying into the lies. Like you're living it, you know, you're, you're still mooning for something more and, and it's, it's gone. You're living the mundane. Yeah. Interesting. Which for the record, I'm like pretty cool with my mundane cause I like it. <laughs> oh yeah. doesn't feel doesn't feel that mundane but but he's criticizing her for yeah. you know have and yeah and and then uh you know he's living this i i can only imagine in the circles that she traveled in and we can probably talk about this some more too um in a, in a very heavily male dominated field how many times she had to listen to some dude just tell her how she felt and tell her how she was experiencing life and explain to her what she meant kind of um, like our new podcast was... oh <laughs> just, just like it mansplaining women in music um yeah no but but really like i think i think that probably was the story for her a lot of the time to just sit there and to do the mm. the polite woman thing of going yeah. like mm-hmm, yeah that must have been what i meant when i wrote that yeah. song um and you see it kind of play out honestly in interviews about her music where she just gets bored and, and will just be like, well, I'm done. Bye. You know, and she just stops talking to people because um, she's like, your questions and your assumptions are uninteresting. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> I'm over it. I, I like the last section, kind of the last paragraphs after she, he talks, she talks about Richard and really that he's, He's got all those things, but he's very sad. And then how this conversation has affected her. Mm-hmm. I'm going to blow this candle mm-hmm. out and I don't want anybody to come talk to me. And I really got nothing to talk about anyway. She's very, she's saddened by it and affected by it. Kind of the close of the whole album is that 
this is only a phase these dark cafe days like this is the period this is a period of her life this whole album 10 songs is a picture of kind of this phase this journey yeah. and i mean she, right right before that before i get my gorgeous wings like there is hope at the yes. end of an album i love it that is full of sorrow and heartache like she's gonna fly away from this this isn't forever and before we close on this, I want to mention uh, he put a quarter in the Wurlitzer, which I'm assuming is like a jukebox. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wurlitzer made organs. And I work for a company and we rent space in the Wurlitzer building in upstate New York near Buffalo. Wow. So there's, a, there's, another, there's another reference. Um, and they still have a couple old uh, organs on display and lots of pictures of the factory in the early uh, 20th century. Nice. Cool. Wurlitzer. But it, but again, interesting, like she doesn't say, I, he put a quarter in the jukebox, he put a quarter in the, you know, he put a quarter in the Wurlitzer. I love, again, it's this, it's this uh, uh, in culture, cultural recognition. Mm-hmm. Any other comments in general? Oof. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of the conclusions because goodness gracious, <laughs> is it relevant? Is it dated? Well, <laughs> is this sound logic on the chart? Oh my goodness. I, I guess we should, I would like to at least point out how appreciative I am that none of these songs are five minutes long or longer. Um, she is nothing <laughs> but efficient. Uh, it fits in with that sort of nine to 11 tracks on an LP <laughs> with 10, a very solid yeah. 10. Uh, and they're all sort of like, um, yeah, under five minutes. I, I just think it feels like a good format for an album. I don't get bored with yep. any of the songs. Uh, none of them sort of run on too far. Um, it actually leaves me wanting more, but um, but I like the way it's constructed. Well, it's all I want. But mm. <laughs> uh, Do we all agree that that this album is still relevant, or are there things that that are lacking here. Okay. So circling, circling all the way back to where is her audience today? Um, you know, if we use the, the, what is becoming a common, I don't know, tool of, you know, if you put this song, if you put these songs on out in public today, would people be like, Oh, what is this? I love this. Um, I'm not, I'm not so sure. And if we're judging relevancy on that, uh, I think this album is something that you sit down with and savor. It's like, it's literally like a glass of wine. You need to be able to be Mm -hmm. like fully immersing yourself in this music to really fully appreciate it. It's not sort of background club music. Um, It deserves more attention than, than the grocery store or elevator music. It's certainly pleasant at times, but it, it really demands that you sit down with it to enjoy it. So it's hard for me to know whether or not people would find this relevant because I think it's not easy music. Um, I wish it was relevant. I want it to be relevant. And similar to, I guess, uh, our discussion of Nevermind, like I think it's, it's desperately needed in a moment in time where people sometimes use music as an escape rather than something that challenges them. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm just not sure what to do with this question, I guess is a big rambly answer for that. I mean, I would, I agree. It's not necessarily relevant in 
the way that like current pop music is relevant and gets easy airtime and you know lots of clicks on whatever streaming service however when we look at the gigantic volume of current artists and current artists since the time this album came out that point to this album and point to Joni as um, a deeply influencing you know album and artist and who will then point to the, the things that they are creating today that yeah. are inspired you know based based on it. it I mean it has musical relevance because people are still mm-hmm. hearkening back to it and saying I'm trying to do right now in a way that is now what Joni was doing because it's it's perfect like it's it's exactly what I want so it's it's a different kind of relevancy maybe it's not you know Lizzo where we're grooving in the car as a family and like (laughs) having a a very fun party time but I mean like our daughter's been discovering Joni over the last little while and I mean she will just sit and listen you know she's a kid who loves music and she just sits and takes it in and that's pretty wild to see her doing that did either of you watch uh, Taylor's Tiny Desk concert that just came out a little bit ago? I did. I, I think I did. Nope. Yeah. Um, in as much as I just had that long rant about it, it's probably not relevant. I hear a lot. Uh, you know, when when an artist like Taylor Swift strips down her songs to just their voice and the guitar, it ends up sounding a lot like Joni Mitchell. Um, Mm-hmm. pop music today and so i think i think if this album came out today it would be studio produced to sound totally different than what we get on here we would certainly not get something like an appalachian dulcimer on it um and so i guess i guess as we move into this next question of it does it sound dated i think perhaps why it's hard to know what to do with its relevance is because it's probably not an el- an album that would be produced today. Um, if if you had a, a young female vocalist with her musical talent, um, she become she would probably become Taylor Swift. She would be uh, her music would be blown up to stadium sized sounds rather than sort of the sort of raw authentic soul that we find here on this album. Am I being too harsh or, or maybe yeah. too stuck in, in eras no. or do you think that's fair? I, I think that's fair, but I mean, she as an artist wouldn't have done it. I mean, the whole reason yeah. she went away to Europe was she was finding playing these sort of big yeah. stadiums and festivals was becoming too mm-hmm. much for her. She was yearning for just that club scene of being in this, you know, dim smoky mm-hmm. room with the people who wanted to really sit and listen Um, I mean, maybe, you know, if if she was a young woman today trying to release an album like this, we'd be hearing it maybe on like an indie station and, you know, we'd be telling our friends like, oh, we went to this incredible show down at like, you know, this tiny club and it was so exclusive. And, and I think, you know, there, there'd be a, there'd be an audience, but you're right. She wouldn't be, I don't, I don't think it would be blowing up everywhere, not in yeah. its form. Any thoughts from you, Mike? No, oh, I can't touch Hello? that. Neither one? <laughs> really? 
relevancy or datedness? It, it's so hard. I think I think you've both done a really good job of kind of supposing what Joni as an artist would be if she was doing it today. Um, you know, as a young person starting off, that's a really interesting. I think it's an album that, like many other albums, has picked up steam and has caused more inspiration as it has aged. Um, and I think that more and more people are gravitating to it. And people who are older and artists as well are coming out and saying, oh yeah, that's one that through time has really inspired me. So sometimes some of the best things are not as popular when they are created. Yeah. And I think, although this was successful, I think it has become even more meaningful to many people and maybe to parts of our culture as time has gone on. And although maybe some of the, again, I've said, you know, uh, one test of relevancy is to like, just put a song on in the public space and will it, you know, will people latch onto it? Um, I don't think that would work with this. Um, uh, However, I think if you went and posted the lyrics on your Facebook page, I think a lot of people would be interested. Yeah. Um, so mm. I think that lyrically, yeah. uh, it's it's very very relevant uh, because, as one of our former guests said, um, authenticity will always be relevant, and mm. you can't get much more authentic than this. I, I wish I could remember where I read it. Someone was talking about Joni as an influence and said that she is an icon, but not a star. Ooh. That. Mm what what she did has had such a meaningful ripple effect through the music industry but she herself like she's just never never wanted to be that you know name in lights or you know adored artist on a big stage like it's just not what she wanted mm. You know, and I think, I think you really do have to want it. You know, yeah. I, I don't think you can be a star if what you want is to just like bear your heart, have people hear you and feel mm-hmm. like you're safe to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I don't know. Well, well, um, the crux of all of this was it sound logic to have this album at number 30 what do we think about that why don't you you guys should totally talk about this first you guys oh boy i'm very interested to know what you think oh dear (laughs) see ben you can say what you want but i can say things there could be ramifications later (laughs) we're all allowed to have our own opinions it's gonna come out eventually because we're gonna do a top 10 re-ranking coming up here soon so there's there's no hiding okay I'll, I'll go first. Um, this is a tough one beca- for me because number one, I'll just I'll just say a bunch of statements and then and then I'll conclude them. <laughs> number one, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. It is so good and I enjoy it so much. Number two, 
it is very, very well written, performed, and produced. So not only do I like it, but it is done well. And number three, a lot of other people really like it and feel the same way. So for all those things, I feel like it should be higher. The thing that I struggle with is I still think there's a lot of people in the general populace who don't know about this. And because of that, I think for me is in the equation of greatness. Um, And that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. However, if it's just about how much I like it, how good I think it is and how much I want to put it on again, this for me flies way past so many of the other albums we've listened to so far. And in terms of, if you look like, for example, if you look at that list on her website of all the other artists who have covered these songs and how often all this music shows up again in our culture mm-hmm. and in, you know, across almost every genre. Um, I got to say that this is like at least top 15, if not top 10. And that other lists put it oh. like that other, that thousand thousand albums list put it higher at yeah. 24. And that it's the, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess if you just took this list and took out all the men, then obviously this is the number one album by women. But as NPR did that mm-hmm. top 150 albums by women, that this is up there, like it's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think for all those reasons, it, it should be higher for influence, performance, and enjoyability. That's me. Now, Ben, I think you should go next. Let's. Well, Nora will be the finale. <laughs> I I think you're absolutely spot on, Mike, and I think that it suffers from uh, the fact that it's not a rock and roll album. I think that's why it's positioned here, uh, and I think that's the what we're discovering is the bias of this list. Um, I this is easily going to make my top ten. I'm just trying to figure out how high. For I don't. I don't think I put as much uh, emphasis on how other people feel when we've done our re-rankings. Um, I'm much more interested in my own personal enjoyment. And um, I know for sure that I'm going to listen to this album uh, on into the future, even though we're done with this review, uh, probably more than anything that we've listened to so far. Um, wow. And... Mm-hmm. Part of that has to do with um, it makes for good, you know, background music in day-to-day life. I don't mind having this on um, just when I'm around the house with our kids. And uh, it's uh, on the surface, it's very pleasant, but it's got a whole lot of depth to it. And uh, we've already talked about the ties to uh, Canada and California. It feels somehow personally uh, deeper than some of the others. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I think, you know, the, the points that you made about why you would bump it up were all the same reasons that I bumped Marvin Gaye's what's going on all the way to the top, you know, inspired mm-hmm. others, yeah. culturally relevant, uh, timeless. Um, I enjoy it. It's well-produced. Uh, and you know, if that one bumped all the way to the top for me, I think I'm, I've, I've got to think pretty seriously about how far up to push this one it also makes me wonder if um the gender bias here is a similar kind of bias that 
why we we felt like uh, Marvin Gaye's album and Stevie Wonder's album and perhaps Michael Jackson's albums all got bumped down, perhaps due to race uh, bias in the in the construction mm-hmm. of this list. And so, uh, yeah, I I think it's not only is it deserved to be one higher, it may deserve to be my number one <laughs> on this list. But I, I need to wow. give that, oh, I need to give that some wow. thought and and see what I come come away with uh, as we <laughs> do our re-ranking here next i guess i'm going back to the days of girls coalition because <laughs> i definitely think <laughs> i definitely think there is a gender bias if we want to throw back on the list i think it was oh goodness i hope i'm right i at 15 or 16 was bob dylan's blood on the tracks yeah and one of the songs on that album tangled up in blue has long been presumed to be about his obsession with this album. Whoa. Um, oh. oh. And I I just I you know when you read about Joni, you read about first oh what a seminal influence she's been in for women in music and and I'll I'm going to just list really quick a bunch of women who they themselves have said with their human mouths have influenced have been influenced by Joni, but people from like Shaka Khan to Bonnie Ray, Annie Lennox, Bjork, Jewel, Nora Jones, Taylor Swift, Sarah Bareilles. Um, we can like we can jump into uh, Fiona Apple, this, uh, like a lot of singer songwriter um, people from the '90s, but certainly even harkening back into sort of country music of the '80s. Um, but it's so limiting when we just say that she was of influence to female performers because we have people like Prince and Neil Diamond and Bob Dylan and Herbie Hancock and James Taylor, who was some of the songs were about going yeah. and covering her and referencing yeah. her and pointing back to this work. I even found like a bunch of quotes. Um, the guy is the lead singer of Tool talking about mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell and this album. Oh, wow. And like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, not surprised because it's brilliant and she's brilliant. But the reality is in a, in a very male dominated environment, here comes this voice that is so glaringly feminine. Yeah. And, you know, what was different about her from maybe some of the other uh, women of the time who were also phenomenal. Like I think of someone like Carol King who was writing and just is obviously extremely prolific. Um, she had this very natural open um, sexuality that was without shame or embarrassment. Like if you look at these songs on this album, it's just like, yeah, I'm going to stand in the shower and and wash my boyfriend's hair. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, you know, like it, the, it, it's very natural. Um, and, you know, she she opened up a vulnerability that many of the male artists in her sphere at the time, I think, then took and ran with. And because, one, I think they wanted the stardom in a way that she didn't, as like I sort of said before, that she was iconic and not a star. Um, you know, they could sort of take some of those notes and make something gigantic with it. Mm. Um, you know, and if we look at some of the people who are on this list ahead of her, I think, well, how much did you gain from 
what she gave you. Yeah. And we'll just, we'll just batter down the list though, because she wasn't the person who wanted to be up on the stage, you know, taking all of the limelight in for herself. Um, yeah, I just, it's, it's way, it's way <laughs> too high up the list. Yeah. It just, it actually, it, it made me mad. This was the reason I wanted to do this <laughs> over a year ago. <laughs> and I said to Mike, it's because I was furious when I saw how high up the list this album was. Um, just knowing how many people have, have put it as just a pillar in their musical and, and life development. Mm. There we go. The end. Coalition. The end. <laughs> so, so where did did you did you give it a numerical, Nora? You know Ooh. where you would put it. I mean, like, is it number one? Uh, like, is I, it number five? I think I, I think I tend to err the side that Ben would, where I I would have to put it up at, at least in my top five. It would easily go ahead of some of the Beatles albums, and I mean, I love the Beatles, but like lyrically, there's just no comparison for me mm. to hear a female voice with such honesty and earnest yeah. yes. truth. And then, I mean, never mind the fact that she's a musical genius. Yeah. I mean, that's just like the icing yeah. on the proverbial cake for me. So. who oh boy. Yeah. I'm going to listen to this as soon as we're off the <laughs> off this call. <laughs> and I know we're nearing the end and I don't want to get too heavy near the end here, Nora, but th- does this represent uh, to you, kind of the plight of of women in culture over, over you know over the history of humankind. Ben, I know you have the book that sort of goes through who was involved in in the selection process and it's not it's certainly not a 50-50 split men and women. No. Um so, you know, there there is again like when you're missing that female voice to be able to share the meaning for them, maybe that is listen I could definitely get mad about the fact that I think that that is a reason why it's further down the list. And then we could get even madder still as we continue to see a lack of diversity in terms of both race and gender or sexual orientation on this list. I think, yeah. you know, the the people with power um, have not been necessarily historically a diverse group, but certainly I know even in our own life, Mike, like we've had, some really interesting experiences with our kids discovering music and artists and the inequity. I think Lily was maybe four or five years old and we were driving for a while listening to one of the local rock stations and she um, burst into tears after about half an hour and said, why are there no women in rock music? And was just Mm. weeping in the car because we had been listening for half an hour and only heard (laughs) boys singing. that's that a is true story. Hundred percent a true story. I think about it all the time, and and yep. I have gone out of my way since then to really say like, no, like here are the women and the icons, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm her her girls coalition older <laughs> older person to like mm-hmm. say here are these these iconic voices, whether or not they were stars, like they have something of value they can offer you, and I mean, like it is no secret. We listen to a lot of Taylor Swift in our house and Lily has really latched on to her. In her most recent album, she has a song called The Man and the whole premise of it is that she has had to fight tooth and nail 
for any kind of respect in the music industry. Because as a woman, if she tries to be successful or say that she wants to be a star and earn money, Mm -hmm. she's told that she's a brat. And she said, you, you know, like, and the song says, like, if I was a man, would I be the man? Because I feel like I have to run in order to keep pace with everybody else. And I think, I think Joni reached a place where, you know, she just wanted to make her music and, you know, but it just, Oh, it holds so much value. (laughs) I did pull that uh, coffee table book off the shelf, just as you said that Nora and I'm, I'm not, this is not a mathematical count, but um, it's mostly male rockers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. who are the voters um right some yeah some producers there are some women as well um but it's it seems like they tried to get some diversity from some other male dominated spaces they have a, a male uh sports broadcaster from espn on this list um oh they're usually really pro-woman so that's yeah good. right yeah like <laughs> Interesting that the diversity they seem to have been aiming for was not necessarily thinking about gender or or race, but about like, oh, if we just get some other people from other industries that are also <laughs> dominated by men. Um, yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it's, act, you know, I think just in that, just in looking at the list, we see some of its bias um, in who they asked to vote. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's a good reminder and man what a powerful story from lily you're raising some good kids over there um kudos to to you (laughs) they're pretty good people (laughs) Uh, i'm gonna keep them yeah i i want to i want to raise children who who think yeah yeah i want to raise children who who think about the world around them and who criticize it because they want to make it a better place Mm -hmm. and who don't just think about the things that are broken because they want something to complain about, but because they want to fix them. Sure. Um, and mm. I'm proud of, you know, of Nora and myself for trying to do that. I'm proud of my kids for, for who they're becoming and that they, I'm so happy that they're able to express those things like Lily. Why are there no women mm-hmm. in rock and roll? This makes me sad. And well, what yeah. can you do about it? Well, she loves to perform. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like what, if, you know, if it's not there, you create it. Yep. So I'm proud of that too. Well said. You know, let's, that was heavy. Let's do something <laughs> a little lighter. We, yeah, well, we, we I'm like sorry. to, you know, my high school roots are like bubbling Good. up here. I feel like, well, I know that was a big part of why you wanted to be yeah, on yeah. this episode. And I wanted to make sure that you, you know, you have a space to, to use your voice there. And, and I think it's an important thing to talk yeah. about. Although given that it is a Canadian artist, apologizing probably should be a part of this episode too. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, given I'm that sorry. Women are chronically conditioned to be polite and apologize. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's coming in as well. <laughs> <laughs> So um, we like to give people a chance, you know, to ex- uh, not only experience the album, but, you know, lift us some other songs. So we talked about mm. how prolifically these songs have been covered. Do, uh, do you have a favorite cover? Um, Nora, do you have a favorite cover from this album? Okay. So I have three. <laughs> um, we'll take three. Okay. 
Brandy Carlisle did a cover of A Case of You that is incredible. Um, you can find it on YouTube. You can find her just doing it live. I think it's just like a stage show, but I think um, there's a studio version somewhere. Uh, I was trying to find it and I just couldn't. It is phenomenal. Um, there, are, there are not a lot of people who can do some of the runs and um, just have the technical control in terms of breath uh, that Joni did, and she does it very, very well. Um, the next one is uh, Rufus Wainwright. He did All I Want, and we were talking about this this afternoon, Mike. I love his cover of it because it's not perfect. There are a couple moments in the song where he almost, it almost gets away from him vocally. And he is a very, like, I love Rufus. Love, love, love. Um, it, but the breath control, like, he almost doesn't have it. And he gets kind of thin towards the end of a couple lines. And then you hear him, like, you hear him, like, have to, like, do a little suck in of air so that he can continue her incredible, like, phrasing on the song um, and I kind of like that about it that it's not perfect um, he's just he is trying so desperately to, to give proper homage but it's just not 100% technically perfect which is different from my favorite cover which is again Rufus Wainwright doing Blue and it is killer like it's just absolutely beautiful and technically perfect and <laughs> makes me want to cry it's so good it is so good what about you guys um i i have a kind of funny uh, addition for this section of the episode um Ooh. when i think about joni mitchell and my awareness of her before uncovering this album um, I'm embarrassed a little bit to say that a lot of it comes from the movie Love Actually, because uh, she's part of a, one of the love uh, romances in stories in that in that film. Um, there's a, a couple in the movie who end up uh, having their love break apart, but the woman in the couple shares that Joni Mitchell taught her how to be a more... Uh, a less cold British woman and more capable of loving. Um, and I think, I think about that quite frequently when I think about like, you know, people who grow up in um, cultures or contexts that teach them to hide their emotion. An artist like this is transformative and, and, uh, and yeah, she's Joni Mitchell is one of the love uh, relationships in a movie just filled with them <laughs> uh, of love actually so um, yeah it's a, <laughs> getting to the, be the love actually time of year too it's a, a movie that I feel somewhat differently <laughs> about than I did when I first got into it but yeah some of it's aged poorly not, not amazing Yeah, well, and someone recently pointed out that it should be uh, retitled lust actually because pretty much all the relationships are built purely on uh, visual appearance and uh, almost nothing about actual love <laughs> but <laughs> with a few exceptions Aww. Mike do you have a cover that you're into? Since you picked three I'm also going to do three Ooh. 
Um, I again, uh, as I mentioned, um, uh, these songs that I'm gonna gonna list, I heard them as covers before I heard the Joni version. So that's, uh, uh, I guess, a little embarrassing, but it, it was my experience in my journey into this music, and I think uh, I, I appreciate how much having been more familiar with those and then hearing this and liking her originals more just how good she is mm-hmm. um i'm very familiar with this flight tonight by nazareth i i for years just thought it was their song was just another rock and roll tune um so that's you know it it, it brings back memories of growing up listening to rock music uh picking sweet corn with you ben and, and listening to rock and roll all day long um, and then the first time I heard uh, these other two songs are jazz covers. Um, the first time I heard Carrie was on, I listened to a lot of jazz radio and was by an artist called Sarah Gazarek and was a very jazzy uh, rendition of Carrie. And the word, the lyrics really lend itself to jazz um, in that, you know, the cane and get a, I'll get some silver. It's very, very jazzy. Um, and then the last one is uh, from... Uh, an album called River the Joni Letters, which is by Herbie Hancock. Um, it won Album of the Year at the Grammys um, and is all Joni Mitchell covers. The whole album um, even features Joni Mitchell on one of the tunes. Um, also, you mentioned uh, an influencer, uh, someone influenced by Joni Prince. He's uncredited as a guitar player. <laughs> he sneakily plays guitar on one of the songs. But uh, the song I chose uh, is uh, uh, River, and it's Herbie Hancock featuring uh, the vocalist Kareem Bailey Ray um, singing that. And that's a beautiful, beautiful rendition of River. And I think that might be my favorite cover, but those are the three that come to mind right. Like, I didn't even have to research them. Um, They came to mind right away when listening to this. And I think that just, again, expresses how prolific this music is. Um, And the last thing before we sign off... Um, we always like to look ahead to when we're going to talk about Joni next. Uh, sadly, there's only one more album uh, on this list. Uh, that's Court and Spark at number 113. <laughs> um, and Nora, we hope you'll join us again. Uh, it was great talking to you. Um, and maybe between now and then there will be something else that you want to talk about. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you for letting me call dibs on this. So, so early into the process, but I mean, it is no secret. I really enjoy this as a project. I enjoy listening to it because I also obviously love just sitting and listening to music and talking about it and exploring it. Um, And I really, I just love that the two of you are friends and you can enjoy doing that together. So I have almost as much fun listening to the discussion of music um, as I do to the two of you just being buddies and having your little friendship wink wink moments it's pretty adorable and wonderful <laughs> and it feels a part in my, in my heart every saturday morning when we uh when we listen so yeah yeah well i think it's been uh i think more i don't know maybe mike doesn't feel this way in quite the same way but uh even though uh 
you're relatively close to us. Knowing that there was at least one other person listening in those early days was super comforting. And, uh, and knowing that you were not only listening, but appreciating what we were li- saying was uh, was really valuable, at least for me, in getting a sense of like, yeah, maybe there is something good that we've got going on here. And uh, so I really appreciate that sense. So I don't. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. If I don't like it, it's going to be off after one or two episodes. So two parts. I right. really like, think you can always right. speed it up to one and a half times or Ooh, something like that. I can't like mess with sound quality. Too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. It, it really was great to have you here. And don't wait around for Joni Mitchell. Um, take a look at the list and let us know if there's something else that's coming up here that you can join us for again. Cool, cool. Thank you guys so much. You bet. Well, thank you, Nora. Uh, thank you, Ben, and thank you, everyone listening. Uh, thank you for taking the time out of your busy life to choose to join us here. And we hope you'll join us next time when we once again re-rank the albums number 21 to 30 uh, before moving on. It's always exciting. And Ben, I look forward to doing that with you. Can't wait. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. Tune in next time for the next album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list.